The first reading is 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 31. If you want to follow it in the Bible, it's on page 1145. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from Luke 23, 3 to 25, and it's in, uh, on page 1059 of the Church Bibles. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he has sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. 
This is the word of the Lord. Am I on? Oh, thank you. Good morning, everybody. Well, it's always reassuring, isn't it, to discover that God has been speaking to the service leader in exactly the same way as he's been speaking to me. I've just got a little bit more time to say more or less exactly what Sarah has already given us, which is wonderful. Praise God that, that we are on the same page. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power to change us. Lord, would you give us open ears, open hearts this morning to receive your word, your truth, your hope. In your precious name we pray. Amen. And so I'm going to ask that same question that Sarah asked. What springs into your mind when you hear the word power? And for our holiday club children, they may think of the superheroes that were our theme last time. Batman or Wonder Woman, who have amazing powers. If you follow darts, you may think of the 16-time world champion, Phil Taylor who, due to his skill over many years, was dubbed Phil the Power Taylor. You may think more globally of the G12 nations, such as the um, United States of America. Slightly closer to home, you might think of the EU. Or even closer, as I see every day at work, the power held by those making decisions about who will receive benefits Who can continue to receive their blue badge for parking or their vital mobility car? And the dictionary definition of power, as Sarah's already touched on, is the ability or the capacity to do something, to act in a particular way, the ability to control, to direct or to influence the behaviour of others or a course of action. So with that in mind, what do our passages have to say about power? You might like to keep your finger in the two passages, um, 1 Corinthians on page 1145, and the Luke uh, account on page 1059. And Luke's account of Jesus being before Pilate really shows us Pilate's reluctance to act against Jesus. Pilate should have held all of the power. He was the governor of the area. And in John's account, he asked Jesus, don't you realise I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? But Jesus is not impressed by this, replying, you'd have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. And Pilate was aware that his grip on power could be quite tenuous. 
if you look into the history of his period of rule, he'd already upset the Jews in a number of ways, even spending sacred money on building an aqueduct. If they complained to Caesar about him, about him letting a rebel go free, the authorities might think that he was more trouble than he was worth. The Jews didn't have the power to crucify Jesus. That had to come from Pilate. So to keep the peace, and against his better judgment, his power was swayed for the fear of the people. Matthew's Gospel tells us famously that Pilate doesn't even take responsibility for his decision. He washes his hands of it in front of the crowd. He's handed that and his power over to a mob. And so earthly powers such as Pilate's are transient. Even sporting legends like Phil the Power lose their edge with age. Even Roman leaders like Julius Caesar or English monarchs like Charles I can be overthrown and even permanently disposed of. Politicians lose elections. Even Donald Trump will have to stand down as US president, arguably the most powerful position in the world, after a maximum term of eight years. Thank goodness for that. God's power, by contrast, is eternal. And it has eternal consequences for each one of us. As we can see when we look at power through the lens of the cross. And when Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified, it was to a shameful death of a rebel or a slave. And after brutal floggings, Jesus was so weak, he couldn't even carry his own cross the length of that walk. He needed the help of Simon of Cyrene. Nailed to that cross... Gasping for breath, he appeared totally powerless. But there was a different power at work as Jesus hung there. The power of sacrificial love. A power that could overcome sin and death. That place of weakness and powerlessness was where God chose to reveal his power. And Jesus' act of willingly shedding his innocent blood had the power to pay the price for all of us once and for all it was what he'd come to do and he'd done it it was not a failure it was a triumph and what of that powerless weakened Jesus now Paul writing to the Philippians tells us that Jesus through his humility and his obedience even unto death on a cross has been exalted to the highest place and given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when we pray in the name of Jesus, the Amplified Bible tells us that we are presenting to God all that Jesus is. We don't have to come with fancy words or be a great speaker. 
you can all join the intercessions rota here at St. Matthew's. <laughs> we don't pray in our own strength. It's all about him. It's because of Jesus and the power of the cross that we can approach God in prayer. And Paul, writing to the Corinthians, understood what God was doing. He tells the early church that the message of the cross is the power of God for those of us who are being saved. And he reminds the new believers that few of them were in influential positions when they came to faith in Jesus. God deliberately chose those without power to shame those who sought and clung to it. Or as the message translation puts it, he chose nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. And that's so encouraging to us, isn't it? We don't have to think, oh, I haven't been to theological college. I don't have a degree. I don't have a big house. I don't even have a job. I find learning difficult. It doesn't, none of that matters to God. He chose you because of Jesus. And if we know we have no power of our own, we can rightly give glory to God for his. The Apostle Paul was actually a poor speaker and he had recurrent health problems. But he knew the power of God was at work when he first came to establish the Corinthian church. And I'm going to read on into chapter 2 from the message translation because I think this is makes things really clear for us. I felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death, if you want to know the truth of it. And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. But the message came through anyway. God's spirit and God's power did it which made it clear that your life of faith is a response to God's power, not to some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or anyone else. Phew. (laughs) Takes the pressure off us, doesn't it? (laughs) So whatever our position, whatever our education, whatever our bank balance, we don't have the power to save ourselves from sin and death. Our earthly bodies will die. But Jesus' death on the cross broke the power of sin and death for those of us who choose to believe in him. And his resurrection from the dead gives us hope of eternal life with him. He is the way, the truth and the life. There's no greater authority. We have no lasting power of our own. But when we put our trust in him rather than ourselves, we receive his power mysteriously by his Holy Spirit. So what do we do with this power? We have to be intentional. Superheroes look and act like ordinary people until they put on their costume. Oops, the wrong way. 
I don't, I'm not as slick as Batman yet, but... <laughs> yeah, you get the picture. <laughs> when, we put our, when they put their costumes on, they're transformed from that normal person into this superhero with fantastic powers. But they have to put it on. And we have to put it on. We have to put on Christ. Paul was very keen on this imagery in several of his letters, his letter to the Romans and to the Colossians, urging believers to be clothed in Christ, to put on his characteristics of compassion, of kindness, humility, generosity, patience. And over all these, he writes, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And when we choose to put on love, we swap the love of power for the power of love. And on one level, we know about love's power, don't we? It's inspired some of the most beautiful songs and the most beautiful poetry down the years. And those of us of a certain age may remember, in 1985 alone, there were three songs called The Power of Love in the charts. Answers on a postcard later, if anyone can remember them. But putting on Christ's sacrificial love extends beyond an initial romantic love between partners. It requires us to submit to being changed from the inside out. That his love and power may be displayed to the world who needs it so, so desperately. Some of you may have seen the triathlon race on TV. The uh, Olympic athlete Johnny Brownlee was leading, but he was in all sorts of trouble. He was wobbling about and he was near collapse. His brother Alistair, not far behind, could have overtaken and won the race. Instead, he put his arm round his brother and staggered with him to the finish line. Someone else overtook to win the race but no one was looking at him. No one cared. Who even remembers his name? What we remember is Alistair, just before the finish line, pushing his brother across before him for second place. The media was full of it. Everyone was so amazed and moved by this display of sacrificial brotherly love. The race was all about winning, but the result was eclipsed by something far more powerful, the power of love. And I see quiet acts of sacrificial love around me at work every day, where partners, other family members, devote their time to caring for loved ones severely affected by multiple cirrhosis. Some have given up careers, free time, Dreams of the future they thought they would have with their families. But there is huge power in the tender, patient love that they demonstrate. It humbles me and it makes me think, how am I, how are we responding to the power of sacrificial love, of Jesus' sacrificial love living in us? What will make others think if they see that in me, if they see that in us? What could change? 
If you feel a bit low on sacrificial love at the moment, feel your tank is, you know, you're on that sort of sludge level um, in your tank, do come for a prayer ministry. We all need to be, ask God to fill us afresh with his Holy Spirit, to fill us afresh with his power to go out into the world. When we pray after communion later, we're going to ask God to send us out into the world in the power of his Holy Spirit to live and work to his praise and glory. And we need to remember to keep asking him to help us to harness that power that is in us. His eternal power, that power that raised Jesus from the dead, defeated sin and death. His is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Amen.